Right here, we're going to go fast. We're going to crack on. Sure, we will see you tomorrow. Nice one. Nice one. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you stop. like. What a stop! Chance for Ben! Oh! Oh! Jordan Ben! Yeah! Yes! Jordan Hedden! I mean, that sort of stuff, we're, it, it's been, we're, be, we're bigger than that. That interview was just like the performance, flat. No. What, what do you want him to do? Just fall at Gabriel's feet crying? I mean, well, he's... Say something... We, we were doing what we'd done for 20 years, relaxing a nervous studio guest in the same way that you would in, in these conditions, um, and thought no more of it. Fire it up, fire it up, when we finally turn it over, make a beat. All right, that jingle means only one thing. It is time once again for Friday Football Podcast with myself, Adrian Barry. Dave McIntyre over there. Good afternoon to you, Dave. Hello, boys. Nathan. Hey, Adrian. All as well. Yeah, What's wrong with you? You're done beat, you're... Shackled by life. What's what's wrong? It's just you know, usual. Is it the podcast that's sort of getting having you down to spend or? time with you two schmucks? Yeah, that's that's normally the Adrian. That's normally that's the way he speaks. With a negative tone. Yeah, oh, throwing right. insults no, and right. abuse around in the only five minutes. Have you? I'm fine. Clearly, I'm fine. what he has is contagious. I'm looking forward to the weekend. Looking forward to my trip to Swansea on Sunday afternoon. What are you up to? What game are you at? Swansea, Manchester United. Who are you with? Good game. Alan McLaughlin. What else have we got? Put the ball in the Northern Ireland net. we got Southampton against Norwich with uh, Conor Morris and Stephen Hunt. We're going to have a lot of Stephen Hunt this weekend. We are. So we can ask him anything. TV with Sue Murphy. You printed off the wrong thing. Uh, well, I've taken <laughs> someone else's notes. <laughs> off the printer. Notes are overrated. We're, uh, locked in here for the next half an hour thereabouts. So TV with Sue Murphy might be a sort of... What are, the, what are the highlights this week? How um, are you, Adrian, though? Pick, How are pick, you? pick of the week. Pick the of the, week, the yeah. ascent of a woman. Ascent of a woman. The ascent of a woman. Oh, Have yeah. I said that? Have I enunciated that correctly? So clearly it is not the movie. Not Al Pacino. It's on Wednesday. It's a uh, wonderful genius in. play on the Wednesday, title uh, of that particular BBC movie. BBC Two, nine o'clock. Um, cinema pick of the week is We Are Your Friends Really? A struggling 23 year old DJ In the electronic Zac dance Efron. music scene Zach Efron Plays Cole yeah. How did you know that? Well I've seen this posters for it everywhere And also Tom Dunn came in At the end of last night's off the ball oh, They right. talk movies on a Thursday night And he was talking about The best movies about music Because there's two of them out this week There's that oh, one Oh Sorry Online picket. Sorry, I I, I re- do realise I've totally interrupted your point. Was it? Were you going anywhere with that? Well, he was saying there was two of them out this week. One of them is that we are your friends, which is by all accounts terrible, and the other one I can't quite remember right now. But that um, was great. Online pick of the week is where I am. It's available on the RT player. It was on just playing all RT TV last night about this US author Robert Drake who uh, was beaten up in Sligo and has ended up in a wheelchair for the rest of his life and film of the week is Bram Stoker's Dracula so they're all uplifting movies <laughs> is that Bram movies. Stoker's Dracula is that the Tom Cruise no, sci-fi that's 1045 uh, Gary Oldman Winona Ryder <laughs> uh, Anthony Hopkins ah, and yeah, yeah, Keanu yeah. Reeves yeah the classic Sue Murphy many thanks for joining us this morning uh, it was from an earlier slot it's fine um, I presume people have probably come this far looking for a bit of football uh, and there's lots of that to come Nathan's sort of run you down what are you laughing about Nothing. That's your presumption as well? I, I would assume so. Um, you never know. Dave has another podcast to do. And hey, Dave, Shy be careful, be careful what agenda. you say on this podcast because, you know, I, my kind of understanding of the <laughs> podcast is, you know, it's a little bit relaxed. It's not quite off the record, but 
Well, it's not. Can, I mean, what do you mean? It's not quite off the record. Well, like, it's, it's on the internet. You, you can kind of say what you want to yeah, a certain sure. degree. You're maybe a little bit more loose tongued than we are when we're live on air on a Saturday and Sunday. Or right. maybe maybe I've just got the. There is a point to this ramble, is there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So last week, shite point, last but, week, yeah. remember we're chatting about Lou Van Gaal, and I'm just making the point that, in all likelihood. Victor Valdez has had a word in the year of Pedro, so you don't want to be coming along here. Adam, but hang on now. Don't misrepresent the 10 point 10 o'clock here. last Friday night, Adrian decides to take to Twitter to promote the podcast and puts this up as his headline, essentially saying that I said that Louis van Gaal was a dickhead. It was a direct quote from what Nathan had said. No, I said that... Uh, Vic- this guy's a dickhead. He'll ruin your life. Was a direct quote No, I was quoting the mind of Victor <laughs> Valdez. <laughs> How did you how did you get inside the mind of Victor? <laughs> I could just see from his the way he sits in the director's box that this is what is going through his, his head. It'll right. be nag, nag, nag was the direct quote from the podcast yeah, last so week. I just, I'm just warning you, Dave, be careful. Because but like, but what? Because of what? Because you might give your true opinion and then it'll sort of, somebody will repeat that back to you. Do you think Gaiman Dunphy was listening? That's why he decided to go. He's a bullshitter. He's a spoofer. <laughs> spoofer. You never asked Dunphy. I'd say Dara is still regretting that. Asking Dumphy, Dumphy You better goes, tell people who haven't Did you gone. see this Anyone watching RTE's yeah. coverage On Wednesday night So Dumphy's like Nah he's a, he's a spoofer And Dara goes What do you mean he's a spoofer Big smirk in Amos face He's a bullshitter Dara He's a bullshitter <laughs> He's like the, He's like the bully Who's just waiting you, Waiting for you to ask Sorry alright What are you looking at What are you looking at Straight off He was waiting to be asked <laughs> The follow up question I do love Dave's Accent. Not a Dublin accent. Yeah, it comes out on a regular basis. It really does. It does. Yeah, in certain scenarios. Even though I am technically a North Dubliner. You're going to Electric more of a More of a Westie. In a couple of weeks and it does tend to, you know, when you're talking about being at Every time picnic, he talks about going to Electric Picnic, <laughs> it's, oh, Jesus, yeah, we're going to the Electric well, Picnic. I don't think that's, that's not a fair reflection on an Electric Picnic. I've never been, but my well, sources I'm, tell me that it would be more witness slash oxygen those days of your, that you'd be more likely to hear the Stardy Boys. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe maybe just a wide section of society yeah, are allowed absolutely. Go, maybe you shouldn't be stereotyping that's right what that certain people from North Dublin speak like that that's not stereotyping it's fact what is our thought about Eamon's comments about Louis van Gaal and this whole idea because like there are there is a resonance there for the you know the Brendan Rodgers uh, era at Liverpool and he's long been painted with this sort of idea of you know he's going to fake it till he makes it, and he wants to deliver this message to people to say, "Well, I've got, I've got this. I'm a good manager. I know what I'm doing here," and he's just going to continue to tell people that for as long as it takes to sink in. And so, essentially, I'm presuming that that's what Dumphy is saying about LVG here. What, what's well, he's achieved spoofer? an awful lot more than Brendan Rodgers has. He was brought into the club to finish in the top four and make it to the group stages. He's done that. They've played five games this season, haven't lost any of them, and only uh, one goal conceded. None of which have been by a player. I get playing yeah. against them. An OG. I don't think they're in bad shape given that they played five matches at the start of the season. If they bring in one or two more players before the transfer window closes, then they'll be in even better shape. Obviously, it goes without saying, but I think it's unfair to call him a spoofer because Ron, up until this point, he's done exactly what's been asked of him. Now the objectives and the goals need to be reset and they need to go out, get out of their pool. They've been given a very nice-looking um, group in the Champions League and they need to make sure they finish in the top three or two this season if he continues to maintain that upward curve I think Amo's wrong yeah I think Louis van Gaal is clearly a genius with the way that he has managed expectations at the club that you're sitting here saying if he manages to get out of, manages to get out of the group of the Champions League oh well, he should do 
Oh no, it'll be. This has got to be a basic requirement. Uh, With the amount of money they that's spent, why I said the goals need to be reset. Be, they, they should, should be, be comfortably for the getting title out of this season. But here, on on what we know about him, you're very much in the. He's you know outside of like the Champions League is what's happened is going to happen, and we yeah. talked about it at that time. But what we've seen, and you know. Given, given all the factors we've spoken about them over the last couple of weeks, the kind of a lot of new players brought in, two hundred million odd spent over the last couple of years, mm. and you know perhaps, you know I suppose people who are in the LVG camp will probably say that it's probably around about now or maybe over the next few months that we actually get to see an LVG team and what it can do. Yeah, and I think Dave's right. They're getting the results at the moment. What will be interesting is if they do sign somebody and if they can kick on and start to play a better brand of football if they can keep it solid at the back and really start to play attractive attacking football and just killing teams I don't think Van Gaal is a spoofer I actually think he just doesn't give a damn about the media I think what he goes out I don't know if he fully believes what he says to the media but I think he has zero respect for the media he's very much in the Trapatoni mould in that way it's that He's an old school football man. What qualifications have you got yeah. to talk about football? Because he, he does do that thing as Dave McIntyre has experienced the Trapatoni used to, which is throw the question back at you. Which well, what do you think? Whereas <laughs> the only the only coaches that do that are the coaches who really don't care what you think. Yeah, isn't he right though? Because you know, he's, so he's come in there well, last last year and he's like, look, I've got a long track record of being a you know a manager at top clubs, top nations, and. I can't believe I've used that uh, to top, describe top. anything. Top, 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 but, top player. But, he's, but, but, here, but here, so the point is, so he comes into a club like Manchester United, he looks at what's happened with David Moyes before him, who was a little bit wishy-washy with the media, and looks at the guy that was like this massive success for various other reasons, but including his dealing with the media over the last uh, 20 years prior to that, and kind of thinks, well, I don't need to be your buddy, and I'll just treat you whatever the hell way I want to treat you, and dealing with you with a lack of respect is probably not, not a bad way to go from his point of view. Yeah, I guess the key with all of these things is you've got to back it up then. It only works when you're winning. With the results. And you're, if you were to take a lot of Louis van Gaal's quotes and David Moyes was to say these things, he'd be laughed out of town. But because van Gaal has that 25 years of success, now some of it isn't quite as recent and some of the things he says you really do have to question but I honestly think that whereas Mourinho puts huge stock in that 10 minutes on a Friday and that 5 minutes on Sky after the match in getting his message across to be it the players the supporters the owner he very much uses the media to control the message I don't think Van Gaal does I I don't think he puts Mm. that much thought into it I think he literally goes into a press conference doesn't have a message doesn't really care what anyone thinks because he's going to do it his way no matter what. They're very different managers in that regard. Like Mourinho's obviously built his reputation from like a massive part of that is his relationship with the media and managing that message whereas Van Gaal has never been about that. It's been sort of manager first and whatever else the success will come there and whatever else comes, comes. Yeah, what other manager does it like Mourinho though? Nobody really uses the media or thinks that they're using the media as a pawn as a, in a way to... Get the narrative facing their Nobody direction. Nobody else is as good as Mourinho. Well, I don't know what other managers do it, to be honest, because a lot of them are just... Ferguson did it to some extent, but a lot of other managers, they just concentrate and get their team to get the best results they can. Van Hal, I don't... He doesn't strike me as a, someone who's absolutely no respect for the media. He's quite funny when he talks, and he actually gives decent answers to a lot of questions. Other managers are just dreadful. I think it's a, it shows a lack of respect to the media by answering 
their questions with these real wishy-washy, no-hope answers where nobody could take anything from it and you end up wishing you hadn't actually asked the question in the first place. My experience of being in Van Hal press conferences is that they're actually quite interesting. Mm. Which you is what you want. Regretting asking. But, see, I do I'm think, not, saying, I do I'm not think, saying they're not interesting. Yeah. What I'm saying is that they're interesting, I think, because he's telling you the truth, essentially, that he's not, he's not going in there with a prepared script. That he just says what he thinks at the time. It can be quite funny. It can be quite interesting. And from that reason, he's not spoofing. Mm. But but ultimately, he's of the mind that your opinion doesn't matter. So I don't really care. Couldn't care surely every manager thinks that. I'm not 100%. I don't think David Moyes thinks that, for example. That was, I think that was part of his downfall, that he probably engaged a little bit too much. And yeah, he and just think... tried to be... The, he wanted the media to be his buddies, and it was never going to be that way. Mm. Not once he took the United job. Yeah, he was in a difficult position because he had spent so long at Everton, and you're trying to promote Everton as a club and promote the brand and obviously show everybody what a good job you're doing. And then you have to kind of flick a switch one day and say, well, I'm the manager of Manchester United. Screw you guys who I was quite close to, who I'd bring into the office. And he never quite managed that. I do think there is a sense with a lot of the younger managers that yeah, Brendan Rodgers is trying to sell something. He's trying to sell himself when mm. he's in that press, those press conferences. And in a way, like if you ask Brendan Rodgers a football question about tactics, like he, he loves that in that he can talk for five minutes about how brilliant he is and how great a job he's done and how much thought has gone into, even this morning, talking about Liverpool's defence this season how it's improved and going into detail on how much time they've spent on the training ground like if, if John Giles was here now I'd be like that you know it's, it's all bullshit so I, I do think he's Rogers much <laughs> John would not Rogers is, Rogers is different to Mourinho Mourinho is very much pushing a point Roger, so many coaches I think are trying to sell themselves and make sure that they're always putting out the best side of themselves where again going back to Van Gaal I don't know if he if he puts that much thought into it, which is a good thing. It is a good thing. Swansea did the double over United last year. It feels to be a slightly different Swansea and a definitely different United now. Yeah, better it's Swansea. It's a different United in that they look um, a little more confident after what happened on Tuesday night and or on Wednesday night and they look very good at the back at the moment at least. Although if you were to analyse the Bruges two-legged uh, get, tie, both legs... Bruges actually had very good chances which would have made the tie an awful lot more interesting than it was in the end and yes Swansea are a better team and we keep just saying it like Gary Monk is he just keeps going up and up in everyone's estimation because no matter what happens no matter who he buys or sells they always seem to be the right decision and they always end up playing things the right way and they score goals they've already should have won at Stamford Bridge and they already look like a team that's going to finish in the top 10 and anything else might be a bonus for them but it's the old cliche, Liberty Stadium is a tough place to go. It's probably going to be tougher than ever to go this season. It's ironic that United's first game under Moyes was a thrashing against Swansea. Hammered them 4-1, Van Persie got two. Everything seemed great and it all imploded after that. Whereas Van Hal's first game of charge was a defeat at home to Swansea. They ended up finishing fourth and now look, they're in the group stage of the Champions yeah. League with what appears to be a handy enough group. So there's actually a lot of parallels and I think United will go there quite confident. They, they can restrict Swansea to maybe one or two chances. They have bought a really good right-back in Matteo Darmian. I think he looks like an out-and-out defender, something United haven't had a right-back for probably since Gary Neville, I think I said in the pod last week. And if he is on Montero, for example, that'll be half the battle, if they can keep him quiet, because he seems to be roasting Premier League full-backs week in, week out at this stage. I think United will go there and they'll, they'll do enough to at least draw the game, but I think they'll win it. 
I wouldn't be quite as confident on United winning the game. I think in midfield it'll be quite interesting because Swansea are so strong in the middle and they've so many options with Shelby and Cork and Sigurdsson and Keesung Young in there as well. And who starts for United? Well, this this is actually going to become a big issue, I think, for United over the course of the season that Schweinsteiger and Carrick, neither of them seem to be able to play a full 90 minutes. So one of them is automatically, automatically replaced after the hour mark. And, and Carrick's place, he's been withdrawn at half-time. Yeah. Because he's not playing well enough. They they need something else in the middle. I, I'd imagine a lot of this game will be played through the middle and both sides just trying to hold on to the ball. And then it is a case of, do Swansea have, can Montero continue that form and have that one moment and get a decent ball in to mm. Gomes? Or with Manchester United, who haven't been creating a huge amount of chances in the league as well, can Memphis become a little bit more consistent in the league and bring that European form into the league? Does Wayne Rooney, we've seen him throughout the last few seasons, that when he gets a little bit of confidence, he can go on these runs of six, seven games, scoring goals. And perhaps we are going to be in the midst of one of those where he looks like, and actually, perhaps it might be a bad time for him to go on it from a Manchester United point of view in that... Louis van Gaal is looking at Rooney scoring the goals and thinking, yeah, I don't need somebody else because this guy can do it all season, whereas history suggests maybe not. I, I think I wouldn't be at all surprised if this was a draw. I think he'll start Herrera and he'll probably start him in the position which he finished on Wednesday night, which was a further up the pitch. And he'll start Schweinsteiger and Schneider and I think Carrick will miss out this weekend. Um, United probably were a little unfortunate last weekend. Yes, Newcastle could have snatched it, but it was only after they wrapped the post with a header from Chris Smalling. Hernandez absolutely should have scored his chance. It was a very good save from Tim Krul, mm. but it should have been a goal. And they created a goal in the first half that was incorrectly disallowed for offside. They could have had 4-5 or five against Newcastle. Now, they also could have conceded at the other end. They could easily be sitting here with nine points from nine. But overall, they just look like they're just starting to grow in confidence a little. It'll be interesting to see how much they take from the second leg in Bruges because they scored six or four goals and they cruised into the group stages. Rooney got his goals. Herrera looked confident. Schweinsteiger had a brilliant ball into Herrera. He looked a little more comfortable. If they can continue on that curve, they're going places. But Swansea are a good team. Uh, that is our second live game on Sunday as Nathan mentioned he'll be there alongside Alan McLaughlin and we're going to open up the day's proceedings uh, from St Mary's Southampton against Norwich in the company of Conor Morris and Stephen Hunt who as mentioned will be with us in uh, studio on Saturday afternoon for a bit of relationship advice with Stephen it's Hunt already a must win game for Southampton Ronald Koeman looked so glum last night after they had to go all the way to Denmark get knocked out having come back to pre-season training early um, that's a huge game and off the ball on Sunday three points big three points uh, some pretty interesting games on Saturday as well uh, which isn't always necessarily the case or at least some decent teams in action the early start Newcastle Arsenal but uh, we've sort of spoken about Liverpool about Rodgers about teams that are beginning to look a little bit like um, a fair reflection of their manager or at least that you know that he's beginning to put the stamp on it a little bit so let's talk about Liverpool Um Piece by Barney Rone in the uh, Guardian today about this Liverpool team, how it's changed this season, and uh, he makes the case that this is the first real Rodgers team. So, you know, there's no Sterling who kind of wandered away. There's no Rodgers, obviously. Who? Uh, sorry, no Rodgers, no Gerard, who, oh, yeah. uh, uh, as we discussed over um, many podcasts and shows last year, was you know maybe not the greatest influence as has been offered by several sources. And Balotelli gone over the last few days, and suddenly you've got a team that you know with Benteke at the top of it is playing 
Is this the Brendan Rogers way, I guess, is the question? Well, the Brendan Rogers way has changed at various times over the, what, three and a bit seasons now he's been at Liverpool. And you have to give him some credit for that because he has been quite flexible. When he arrived from Swansea, there was this death by football style, huge amount of possession. This is how he wanted to play. And then about three months in, when the results weren't going right, he realised, actually... I don't have the players there. Stephen Gerrard was part of the reason for that, that you know it's a more explosive game. They don't want to just hold on to it. We saw last season that when it wasn't working out at the start of the year, he moves to the 3-5-2. Then he changed it again. And now they're back with sort of a 4-2-3-1 formation. Ben Teke at the head of it. They bought very well this summer. Like They were so impressive in the first half against Arsenal. If they could have just got the goal, like Ben Teke really should have scored. I know it was a yeah. brilliant save from Petr Cech. And... There, there does seem to be an issue kind of coming to the fore over the last couple of days of Rogers trying to take control of the signings or certainly take credit for these summer signings and push the guys that were bought in last year to one side. So Balotelli's gone. That was the transfer committee. Lazar Markovic, who at times last season looked like potential. A, a, a potential and a promising player. But again, maybe not a Rogers signing, a transfer committee signing. He's been let go on loan to Fenerbahce for the season. The key for Liverpool is that I think he's had a bit of time with them on the training ground. And they've bought players who can fit in directly straight into the team. So Milner, you know, he's just, it's James Milner. You're getting your 7, 8 out of 10 in every game. Does a job in the middle of midfield. Benteke, as we predicted, was just a perfect signing. And I think Benteke is actually having a huge effect on the rest of the team because they haven't let in any goals. Dejan Lovren's look quite comfortable. And one of the reasons for that is that Brendan Rodgers has always wanted to play the ball out of defence. So Mignolet gets the ball at his feet, passes it to Skirtle, passes it to Lovren. And Lovren, last season, just looked like he never wanted to be on the ball. That every time the ball came to him on the edge of his own area, he panicked. Whereas when he was with Southampton, that was one of the real strengths of his game, that he could step out of defence. Whereas last year, maybe it was the pressure of making a poor start, but he just couldn't cope with it. Whereas now that Benteke is there, you watched him on Monday night... Lovren rarely gets the ball off Minule. It's up to Benteke. It's a long ball forward. So Lovren and Skirtle can just really concentrate mm. on defending rather than having to start attacks. There's a couple of sort of interesting things that strike me from that that you're saying about the transfer dealings to begin with. So it's very easy for Rogers, obviously, to say that, well, those signings, well, they yeah. were mine. They were the committee. But these good guys, oh, they're totally mine. And also the, like, not having considered a goal so far this season, reading some of the quotes from his press conference, it might have been today, certainly this week, um, saying that we've done a lot of work defensively with the players. And again, he's taking ownership of that rather than saying, well, these guys are beginning to gel. And, yeah. you know, these these are pretty, like, and, and that feels, feels fake, right? Like the kind of, you know. Well, they probably have spent a lot of time working on it and he does need to take some of the credit for it but I don't think he should be saying it in that way because it takes away from the collective effort. We've been working hard on things and this player has done extremely well and he's improved. And Gomez has given us far more than we thought we'd get in the first mm-hmm. few weeks. Diane Lovren has recovered brilliantly mentally from a really tough first season. He, I don't. Sometimes I don't think he play, gives individual praise to his players enough but again, we're, well, we expect this from Rodgers. We've known he's been do, speaking in this kind of way for the last three years. He deflects the attention away from him when things aren't going well and he tends to take a little too much of the credit publicly. Whatever he wants to do privately, that's fair enough, when things are going their way. But I have been really impressed by the way that the protection afforded to the back four is much better than it was last season. He said during the week that Lucas is their best defensive midfielder, so I really don't think why they're, I don't understand why they're looking to sell him because he was gonna, really good on Monday night. History and suggests that Lucas will probably be Liverpool's best midfielder this season, considering the way he wanted to get rid of Jordan Henderson, wanted to get rid of Martin Skirtle, and then 
was almost forced into changing their mind, the players kick on and suddenly Rogers again. Well, I mean, that was all Rogers. The committee had nothing to do with that. You know. Yeah, see, but if, for example, if Mignolet, for example, goes on to have an absolutely brilliant season this season and is the wins the Golden Glove and is the Premier League goalkeeper of the year, he'll take the credit mm. for helping Mignolet through the, his dark patch, <laughs> yeah. even though it was his fault in many ways that Mignolet was in this problem, he, had the problems he did have. The manner in which he handled his um, demotion last season was awful. He destroyed his confidence. I was in the press conference after they were hammered by United when Brad Jones looked like he'd never played a professional game of goal in his career. And the, the, one of the English journalists said to him, how long is Mignolet out for? Indefinitely. Pretty much saying, this keeper's so bad that I, even though we witnessed Brad Jones destroying the place today and sticking the joint out, I've no intention of bringing Mignolet back. And what happens in the next game? Jones gets injured and he's forced into bringing, bringing Mignolet back. And he has responded pretty well and he started the season really well. Let's see how he talks at Mignolet over the next few weeks if he continues to keep clean sheets. Well, Mignolet kept 14 clean sheets last season. Like the way Mignolet turned it around in the second half last season was remarkable. He admitted that around Christmas last year that he had a, a form of the yips. Mm. There was that situation when he came back in when Brad Jones got the injury and the ball, there was a back pass played to him mm. and he let it roll and let it roll and let it roll. I just let it roll out of play for a corner kick because, as he said, he was just frozen. Uh, I think he spent a bit of time with Steve Peters. His girlfriend basically sat him down and said, something is not right here. Managed to clear his head. And... So that all the credit goes to Brendan Rodgers. Yeah. All the, all the <laughs> was either the committee Rogers. or Rodgers? The, the, other, the other guy who's really stood out this year, obviously Gomez has done brilliantly for a young guy who they probably thought they'd send out on loan this year. It's done brilliantly at left back. But Nathaniel Klein has added something that Liverpool haven't had in years, which is a proper bomb forward, full back, getting crosses in, adding an extra dimension to their attack. Like Len Johnson hasn't done that in years. And he can defend. And we touched on Southampton, the struggles they have. I think that is a big, people are focusing on Schneiderlin. The other big issue for Southampton is that both Klein and is gone and Bertrand has been injured. And they were so important for them. And it does that. You see it with so many of the teams that their full back is the first line of attack. Yeah. And Klein has been brilliant so far. If you think their whole back four is gone. Chambers, Lovren, Klein, Bertrand. I mean, it's no wonder they're really struggling. And I wonder when Dejan Lovren looks outside him and he sees Nathaniel Klein at right back, that's probably a little reassuring as well. It's a more of a familiar presence. A lot of the circumstantial evidence at Liverpool seems to be helping the likes of Dejan Lovren. And then in turn, when he looks confident, well, the guy playing a central defence beside him is going to play a lot better as well. So much of it is a domino effect. Everything that happens mm. affects the guy in front, to his left, to his right. And if you're playing in front of that back four, you're Lucas and you know the full the central defenders are playing with a bit more confidence, change the dynamic in midfield as well. It's been sort of primarily a 4-2-3-1 with a few sort of mixing it up a little bit from, from Roger's point of view and just to sort of assess what's going on up front for Liverpool uh, this season obviously with the Benteke thing and he looked good against Arsenal uh, he didn't score in that game one from three so far that sort of offside goal against Bournemouth was it offside was it not offside probably was no, it was offside uh, he had zero headed chances against Arsenal which was his sort of uh, stock obviously um, over the last few seasons himself and Coutinho interacted pretty well and they could be potent Dave you feel that maybe there could be a bit more width about this system well he I think Benteke is an underrated striker because whenever I've seen him I've always felt that there's not an awful lot that he can't do 
We know he's great in the air. We know he's physically strong and that he's quick. But I think his first touch is underrated. His ability to hold the ball up is probably underrated. And his awareness of the players around him is also underrated. But you can't get away from the fact that he is playing to his strengths and at his best when he's got decent fullbacks and wingers who are able to whip an early ball into the penalty area because he's so powerful in the air. And some of his best goals at Villa Park came from those sort of quick break attacks and a real fizzed ball into the penalty area. You don't just lump it up on top of him because no matter how good you are in the air, it's difficult to look good. Maybe Fellaini's the only one. And right now they just don't have those players in the Liverpool squad. Klein has been mentioned by Nathan, so I think that will improve. We don't know exactly how good Gomez is going to be going forward just yet. Very early days for him. He does seem to show ambition to do that, though. I mean, he does seem to be so, yeah. And so I think if they get more out of that and they mm. get proper balls into the penalty area, he'll be an even bigger threat. I don't know how much you can link him to Coutinho. Coutinho seems to pick up breaks here and there and makes absolute mountains out of very little. I don't know how much that, that actually has to do with the guy who's playing in front of him. Yeah, I, I was at the Britannia on the opening day of the season and... Again, that was a big issue that there wasn't one decent delivery to Benteke for the entire game. And you would expect as Liverpool to become a little bit more confident that you will see Gomez and Klein bomb forward even more. What I really like about Benteke is that he always involves himself in the game. So even though there wasn't good deliveries and a lot of strikers get frustrated and they start shaking their head Mm. and throwing their arms up in the air, he kept coming deep. He just took the little balls into feet and laid it back and... Maybe it's just going to take him a little bit of time to control it. But you compare it to someone like Lukaku, who just goes missing. first touch is atrocious. So Everton from against Manchester City last weekend, lovely build-up play. Midfielders super confident on the ball, holding possession against the best team in the league at the moment. And it had come forward to Lukaku with his back to goal and the ball just bounces off him and Manchester City come away with it. Whereas Liverpool now have the confidence that they know if they give it to Benteke, he can keep it, it'll stick to him. And you would assume the more time they spend on the training pitch, himself and Coutinho can link up and can continue to link up. And Coutinho looks to have continued on from last season. In fact, even more confidence, playing even better. And I think Brendan Rodgers looked at Coutinho and thought, well, if we get another one of those guys, signs Firmino, who comes in against Arsenal last week, only played an hour, had flashes here and there. But again, just sort of fits into this new Liverpool system. Very early to judge him. I think it'll be a long time before we actually judge him. It depends on what game time he gets over the next few weeks. But I'd love to see for um, Coutinho and Benteke link up an awful lot more often and Coutinho getting the ball from him rather than getting it from mm. other areas. But uh, you will see, uh, the danger with Benteke getting himself involved in the game all the time is that he drops too deep yeah, and then yeah, they no longer have that out ball because you've, as you, you've seen them a couple of times already this season, that's so important for them. And you, you, even though you're talking about opposite ends of the pitch, Benteke's ability to hold it up has helped Dayan Lovren. And they're what? There's 50 metres between them. Yeah. And the difficulty as well being that, I mean, with the Suarez case, and it's not likely that uh, Benteke is off to the league anytime soon, but they do sort of make him the fulcrum of the team and the system is totally built around him and suddenly he picks up an injury and then what the hell? What the hell? Well, the only other thing is that they have Danny Ings on the bench and they have Divock Origi on the bench, mm. neither of whom have seen a single minute yet in the Premier League. So they do have quite a few options and Daniel Sturridge is is back in training. Now, probably because they have those options, they're not going to have to rush him back this time. In fact, I'd say they'll leave it till close Christmas if they can and just try and get him fully fit. So suddenly, Liverpool actually do have quite a few options if Benteke was to miss a few games. Would you not say, though, that if Benteke was to pick up a season-threatening injury, that you could write them off completely? 
I mean, is Danny Ings really going to come in well, and do something special? I was getting. Well, well, I don't know about Ryan Murphy. Origi was abysmal last But the problem is, you, you're totally alone. investing that system that's totally built around Benteke. Yeah, like, you're totally built a system that's built around Suarez, and then he's not there anymore. And what the hell do you do? Like, because it doesn't necessarily fit for Danny Ings. Ings was awful in the last, second half of last season. I, but what else do you do? Well, no, What's the alternative? Yeah, well, you only have one player. You could say that. If, well, if, if, if well, Sergio, yeah, if Sergio yeah, okay, Aguero yeah. gets injured... Manchester City are in huge trouble. Yeah, but you can probably say it about every team. Mm. That you that's that's how every team sets up. You have certain players and you play to their strengths. Mm. Now perhaps Brendan Rodgers does have another way. Perhaps he's looking at playing Ings and Origi up front together at some stage. Perhaps. Who knows? Who knows? Only time will tell on that one, I think. Hey, let's come back to this. Topic. <laughs> Liverpool West Ham Saturday at three o'clock. We don't have much time here, lads. So uh, Newcastle Arsenal gets things underway. On Saturday in the lunchtime game, mediocre enough start for Liverpool. The draw at Liverpool for Arsenal. The draw at Liverpool on Monday night was a pretty decent game, but it seems as if Mert Sacker and Koscielny are both doubtful again. Welbeck and Wilshire both still injured as well. Uh, maybe they come back, and I mean four important players, and Arsenal are suddenly. I'm trying to make a case for Arsenal here, but turning into some sort of a title contender. Yeah. Early early season form suggests not, but perhaps with those players back they become a different beast. I think they are still title contenders. It's so early in the season. It's just that they don't look like signing anybody. So there's speculation of yeah. United could add, City are going to add De Bruyne. There's still talk that Chelsea might go after Pogba as well as Stones. Whereas Arsenal fixed one problem. They signed Petr Cech. They've got experience in goals. But Olivier Giroud is still their sole striker. And in midfield, Coquelin is very good. But there's better out there. There's well, a higher class happen. of player. And we talked Finger, about Finger's it. comments were weird. Did anybody see Finger's comments for the press conference this week saying, well, we, we're, we're probably not going to do any business, but you never really know over the last couple of days. It's yeah. such a, like, it, ne- it didn't seem to me like a man in control of uh, identifying whose targets were and chasing them down. Now, maybe that's just Maybe he just keeps his cards close yeah, to his chest. It is very un-Arsenal-like to be chasing somebody desperately on the final day of the season. I can only remember having happening once and it was Andre Arshavin. I can't recall any other transfer Kim deadline Kallstrom. days. <laughs> we know how that one worked out. I think he was, he was just a squad player and he didn't even turn out to be Well, that. he arrived with a broken back, I think, which was never a good sign. We talked about it on the pod at the end of last season when Arsenal were in the midst of another brilliant season-ending run, just like there were the previous season. And Wenger takes a massive amount of stock from the last 10 games of the season and it pretty much gets him through the close season and he decides he doesn't need anybody else. We knew this would happen, that he would see how well they were playing, won the FA Cup, finished in the top three again, won a huge amount of games and decided, you know what, don't need anyone. Here we are now, three days before the transfer deadline and it doesn't look like he's going to sign anyone Barry Gold. All right, well, look at that. We are pretty much out of time. Kike Flores reckons uh, beating Man City on Saturday at 3 o'clock isn't impossible. Uh, probably is uh, Bournemouth Leicester City at the Vitality we Villa against Sunderland Stoke against West Brom Chelsea Palace we didn't get a chance to touch on on Tottenham as well to that game on Saturday we'll have Kevin Caban in studio with us uh, to build up to the games between 2 and 3 on Saturday Stephen Hunt will be inside uh, along with myself and Nathan over the afternoon so looking forward to all that lads pleasure cheers, cheers. cheers.